Are you worried about taxes? Death and taxes are said to be the two certainties. The president and Congress are putting forward changes to the tax code. Changes are never good. I can assure you of that. In this episode, we're going to disabuse the myths, some of the things that you might have heard. But more importantly, I'm going to talk about the four types of taxes that are important to all retirees and disabuse the myths about those. And then I'm going to offer two great solutions about reducing the overall tax bite on your portfolio, which guarantees a rate of return as compared to those who do not invest efficiently. This episode is about more dollars in your pocket by leveraging the laws of money. Welcome, Boomexers. Let's throw out the old playbook. It's time to tear down the traditional way of looking at your life and money. And leverage the laws of money to our advantage. That's right. There are laws of money. And those who learn and leverage the laws of money win. And sometimes win big. Stay tuned as asset protection attorney Daryl Tuttle, educator and leader of the Boomex Nation, shows us how. Beginners, investors, entrepreneurs, fellow attorneys, are you ready? Are you ready? Let's arm this ball. Now, here's the Boom X Show. The Laws of Money. Hey there, Boom Xers. Are you ready to learn and leverage the laws of money? If so, you have come to the right place. We have a great episode lined up for you today that will do just that. But before we dive into the deep end of the pool, I'd like you to consider this important and absolutely free resource brought to members of the Boom X Nation by our own sponsor. We are experiencing the longest bull market in history. Is it over or is it just beginning? Do you feel like you are missing out because you don't know or even care to dive into the details of the financial markets? If so, wouldn't it be helpful to find a trusted advisor to guide you and help you build true family wealth? Finding a financial advisor is difficult. That is why so few have help managing their wealth. If you are a Boomix listener, you know I am skeptical about the financial services industry. That's why I'm excited to direct your attention to Shane Kloniger. Shane is the only advisor I currently refer clients to. Shane has decades of experiencing help his clients build, grow, and protect their family's wealth. He's highly skilled and understands tax harvesting, a necessary skill in these tax-obsessed times. More importantly, Shane does not say no to people who are not rich enough, and he does not charge excessive fees. Common, so common, in the financial world. Shane is the founding and managing partner of SC Financial Group. I have allowed Shane to sponsor the Boomex show because I believe in him and his services. As part of his sponsorship, he has offered a free financial plan to Boomexers. Astounding, I know. Click the link below, fill out a simple form, and Shane will send you a free plan that maps out your retirement cash flow. This will help you understand your money and give you a clear path towards a secure retirement and family wealth that will last generations. Click the link below and receive your free BoomX retirement plan from Shane Kloniger now. 
There's a great apocalyptic movie about the end of the world in which a sudden a freeze has come over the entire planet and a few survivors end up in a famous downtown city, uh, New York City library. That's where they're sheltering. And of course, they're trying to uh, keep warm as the temperatures plummet. And they had the bright idea, of course, eventually to, let's well, like light a fire. We're in a library. And of course, one of the characters is just absolutely appalled. You can't burn books. There's the great literature. People have the works of Shakespeare and other famous literary works. And this guy's just offended. And then another survivor goes, wait, look at this. I've got the tax code. What about that? Nobody's going to be offended if we burn the tax code. And look how big it is. And everyone's like, yeah, let's burn the tax code. And of course they do, and they keep warm, and like, that's a fitting use of the tax code. The tax code is uh, notoriously long-winded, and it is chaotic at best. I say that because the uh, people, the men and women who wrote that book, wrote it at different times throughout history. Congress, the president. And uh, it's hard to wrap your brain around, but when I'm explaining it to clients, there's four taxes that... I like them to think about. The first is income tax. Now, in retirement, income tax is an issue, but less so because you're no longer working. If you are generating income, it's likely from Social Security, which is unearned income and it uh, or rental income, but you do not have a paycheck. And so that set pension amount, you just get used to the tax, the income tax on Social Security. You get used to income tax and different types of tax on uh, part-time jobs that you have or whatever, and it becomes less significant. So we have a progressive tax system in the United States where there are marginal tax brackets, as you know. The less you make, the lower your income tax uh, bracket. The second kind of tax is also an income tax, and that is capital gains tax. I say it's an income tax because the rate that you pay depends upon your income, and it's Found, legal authority for the capital gains tax is found in the income tax section of the tax code, and you report capital gains tax on your 1040. So in that sense, it is a variation of the in, uh, income tax. The third kind of tax is estate tax. Remember that there are three possible estate tax. The first is federal estate tax. The second is debt tax or estate tax that your state may impose. The following states have an inheritance tax. The difference between an estate tax and an inheritance tax is the taxpayer. Estate tax are paid before beneficiaries or heirs are paid in a probate or any kind of... The states that have an inheritance tax, meaning the heir is responsible for paying the tax once they receive their inheritance, are Iowa, Kentucky, Maryland, Nebraska, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Be aware, however, that Iowa is in the process of phasing out its inheritance tax, which will be repealed in 2021. Estate tax, on the other hand, is paid by the estate. The word estate is only found in three sections of the law. The first is bankruptcy. So the bankruptcy code's uses the term estate when a person, individual, files for bankruptcy petition, uh, protection rather. When that occurs, the bankruptcy trustee takes over the assets of the debtor and those assets that are held 
essentially in a penalty box or a, a, like a trust relationship by the bankruptcy court is said to be an estate. When you lose control of your assets in a bankruptcy, the law calls those assets an estate. The second place you will find the word estate is in the probate code. In the probate court code, which is state law, so there's variations for all 50 states, but in all 50 states, the word estate refers to the assets once owned by a deceased asset owner. And of course, the word gross estate and taxable estate occurs in the tax code in a separate section of the tax code and is 100% related to the federal estate tax. The fourth kind of tax to be aware of is the gift tax. Not all gifts are taxable. There is an annual gift tax exclusion. If you gave each of your children $11,000 in 2002 through 2005, that gift of $11,000 for each child separate, if it's below $11,000, there's no need to even file a gift tax return. In 2006 and 2008, the amount was $13,000. If 2009 through 2012, it was $14,000. And today, in 2021 and beyond, it's $15,000. If you would like to learn more about estate tax and gift tax and the way the two work with each other, go to the irs.gov website and look at publication 559, or you can join the BoomX Academy once enrolled in the BoomX Academy, and that's a free membership, then you will be automatically enrolled in the BoomX Show Laws and Money Podcast Companion Course in which the publication is listed for this episode. I say that because in retirement, before retirement and in retirement, if you were prudent, you invested in the stock market, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Now, of course, as, as of April 1st, you, of course, must begin taking required minimum distributions once you reach the age of 72 years old, 72 years old. And, of course, once you take funds out of your retirement account, where do you put them? Most retirees live below their means, and so they reinvest that amount in what's called a non-qualified account. Also, many put, people have brokerage accounts in addition to the retirement accounts. And, of course, those are all subject to capital gains tax rules. Understanding capital gains tax rules and leveraging the deductions and offsets available can increase the amount of money in your portfolio. And then, of course, that leads to a happier and longer and more peaceful retirement. Now, the tax that's most relevant to retirees while living I believe, is capital gains tax. Almost everything you own and use for your personal or investment purposes is called a capital asset. Examples include a home, personal use items like household furnishing, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, other investments. When you sell a capital asset, the difference between the price you paid in the asset for the asset and the amount you realize from the sale or gain is called capital gains or loss if it went down. Generally, an asset basis is the cost to you, the owner. But if you receive it as a gift or inheritance, and of course, special rules apply. The tax rate that you pay on net capital gains is no higher than 
15%, 1-5% for most individuals. Some or all net capital gains may be taxed at 0% if your taxable income is less than 80000 A capital gains tax rate of 15% applies only if your taxable income is $80,000 per year or more but less than $441,450 for singles or $496,600 of annual income for married folks, taxpayers filing jointly. However, a net capital gain tax rate of 20% applies to the extent that your taxable income exceeds that threshold set for the 15% capital gains tax rate. To correctly arrive at your net capital gain, you must first determine if it's long-term or short-term. Generally, if you hold an asset for more than one year before you dispose of it, your capital gains is long-term. If you hold it one year or less, your capital gains is short-term. Short-term capital gains. Remember when I said capital gains tax is really an income tax? Short-term capital gains are taxed just like your ordinary income. That's up to as high as 37%, depending on your tax bracket. If you hold it for more than a year, long-term capital gains are derived from assets that are held, again, more than one year, but are taxed according to graduated thresholds for taxable income at 0%, 15%, or 20%. The tax rate on most taxpayers who pay long-term capital gains is 15% or lower. Before we go on to talk about the new tax proposals and to determine whether you might be by any of the new rules, and probably you're not. However, before we go on to a prediction of the future and the description of the political mess that is occurring as related to tax on Capitol Hill, let's first point out the obvious. Now, we just described different rates for short-term and long-term capital gains tax. We also described different tax rates on capital gains based upon income. Now, in retirement, our job, asset protection, is all about avoiding unnecessary taxation lawfully. Now, if there's a deduction and you fail to take the deduction, then you have failed to preserve your assets in a sense because you paid a a tax liability that was unnecessary that you did not need to, and that resulted in fewer dollars in your pocket for retirement. Hypothesize that you uh, purchase a stock and it starts to tank. It does not do well. Hypothesize further that At the same time, you bought another stock in the same tax year that started to do great. If you sold the first stock for a loss and the second stock for a gain, the question is, are you paying capital gains tax on the amount of appreciation on the winner stock? Or can you offset with the loser stock as well? And the answer, of course, is yes, you can offset. Now, if we went one step further, when you sell your stock is also important. If it's held for more than one year, you're subject to, perhaps based upon your income, remember, probably though, a lower tax rate. Now, if we put those two concepts together, you have the basis of tax-efficient investing. Imagine hundreds or thousands of stocks in your portfolio, 
how would you keep track of offsetting stocks for losses? If you were going to appreciate profit on a stock that you felt that was going to decline in the, in the future, doesn't it make sense to, during the same tax year, to find loss so you can take advantage of an offset, gains for loss? If you thought to yourself, I need to dump this stock before it turns down because I've made a good profit, and you're 11 months and three weeks uh, into your holding period, doesn't it make sense to hold off another two weeks so that you would pay less in capital gains tax because it was considered long-term? Tax-efficient investment is about having a solid financial professional in your corner who's tracking all of that and doing it for you. I don't know about you, but most people do not understand these rules well enough to do it themselves. It's important to understand the concept. That's why we have the Boomek Show Laws of Money podcast. But the nitty-gritty, the granular level, I say hire a solid financial professional. I'm not going to hound you about it, but you can click the link and get a free retirement roadmap from Shane Kloniger because that guy understands tax-efficient investing. He has a system to do all of that for you. Now, let's talk about what the new tax proposals might mean. First of all, understand that there's not just one tax proposal. The president has a bill, an idea, a concept that will become a bill that he's pushing forward, as do both the House and the Senate. Reconciliation is about just that, figuring out. Oh, and on top of it, remember that spending is the goal of the government, hopefully to increase aggregate satisfaction. Hopefully. <laughs> a cynic or a skeptic would say, yeah, right. However, aggregate satisfaction is the purpose of the law. The government's goal is to increase the satisfaction of Americans, citizens within its um, boundaries. Now, when it comes to spending, there are detailed rules about reconciliation, how money must be spent, and the procedures to pass a law, and those rules differ between the House and the Senate. Reconciliation, you've heard that term, reconciliation, it um, can occur annually, must occur annually, actually, in terms of the next fiscal budget. However, the concept is all of these ideas and all these proposals must pass the parameters of the House, then must pass the parameters of the Senate. Then when they come to the vote, there must be um, agreement, recon what's called reconciliation. And so if you are confused about tax proposals because you hear different things from different sources, it's likely because they are talking about either the House bill, the Senate bill, or the uh, president's proposal. However, let's talk about what I think could affect retirees and not worry about the spending reconciliation process to build America a stronger infrastructure. Democrats in the House Ways and Means Committee have advanced essentially the tax elements of Biden's President Biden's Build Back a Better agenda. And it's called Build Back Better in reference to the government's goal of improving infrastructure. Now, it has to be, of course, modified by the House Rules Committee before it can go to the House floor. And that may differ, of course, from what the senators are preparing. And therefore, we get into that confusion, which I had referred to. 
And we're talking about increasing federal revenue by $2.1 trillion over the next decade, trillion dollars over the next decade. And of course, that's before accounting for $1 trillion in expanded tax credits for individuals and businesses, which is predicted to be um, a net revenue increase of about $1.06 trillion. But of course, there's going to be increased tax compliance, which means IRS are um, doing a better job collecting tax which they hope to increase revenue of $862 billion over 10 years. It's hard to wrap your brain around those numbers as an individual, but on that macro policy level, that's what we're looking at. The shocking thing about that number is that it's estimated by taxfoundation.org, which is a great website. You should um, check it out for more details because they really are following. It's great because they analyze uh, state tax, any kind of tax they, they follow, but they're tracking at, at a much more granular level. But taxfoundation.org estimates that the way a means tax proposal as it stands now, of course, the chance of that as in its form now becoming law is maybe remote, that's to be argued, but the long-term economic output would be reduced by 0.98% and would eliminate 303,000 full-time equivalent jobs in the United States. And of course, that has to do with a lot of factors, but primarily the increases in corporate tax and the less money businesses have to research and development and expand the factories. And, And as a business owner, I can tell you, we generally believe that we can spend money and spur economic growth better than the government can. And so that $303,000 has an impact on everybody across the United States, all Americans, all taxpayers. Now, remember when I talked about capital gains tax and the the rate for long-term capital gains varied based upon income, and it was, there was a cap for capital gains tax. One of the proposals to look out for is that on the floor that's under consideration is raising the top individual income tax rate for income tax to 39.6%, which would affect anyone making over $400,000 or for head of households above $425,000 or for joint filers above $450,000, those same numbers, but that's an increase in the marginal tax rate. If you're at that level, and I have clients currently in my pipeline, in my portfolio, and at this point, my clients are don't mess with my clients, <laughs> take a tire and iron to protect my, my clients, that will definitely affect them. Now, if you have an annual, don't laugh, this does not affect very many people I know. However, this podcast is, has a national audience. Let's just be patient, people, be patient. If you have a modified gross adjusted income above $5 million, they're going to create a new tax, a 3% quote-unquote surcharge. That's what we're calling it. It's like a tip to the government. On the capital gains tax front, remember, I believe this type of tax, capital gains, is most relevant, most impactful to retirees during retirement. There is a proposal to increase the top capital gains tax rate from 20% to 25%. That's real money, a 5% difference. And adjust the top capital gains tax bracket to 400,000, 425, and 450. So 400 for single filers, 425 for head of household, and 450 for joint filers. This is a way of getting people above 
high net income individuals, which really only constitute, I think last time I looked at it, if you make $125,000 and you're like the top 15% of taxpayers. So I would think $400,000 annual income puts you in the top 1% or 2%. Nevertheless, that is an increase on high net income, high income producers. On the estate tax front, there's a proposal to reduce the estate tax uh, exemption beginning in 2022 down to six million and twenty six million and twenty thousand dollars. That is a significant, it's a, a little less than half of the current credit amount. So more estates will be paying estate tax, but if your estate is below six million, then of course you're not affected. And remember, there I had uh, read the states that are affected by estate inheritance tax. Do not forget your estate tax, your state's death tax. I am a former resident of Washington State. Washington State has a $2 million credit, slightly above a $2 million credit. The um, death tax rate in Washington State is as high as 20%. A state tax imposed by the federal government would be in addition to a uh, a state tax imposed by a state government, federal and state. So that, that is an extremely high tax for a state above $2 million in some states. Oregon has a $1 million credit, so uh, amounts in Oregon, the state amounts in Oregon after deductions w- would be subject to an estate tax of, of that amount, and that would, I would think, in- include a lot of estates. $2 million in Washington, look up. Go to the Boom X Show, Laws of Money podcast, join as a free member, go to your companion course, and you can see a list of all the states that have an estate tax and the applicable tax rates that each st- state charges. So I don't have to recite it here. Now, the thing that's offensive about estate tax is this is a second tier tax, really. I'm Like all this money has already been taxed. You earned it during your lifetime. You paid income tax on it. You paid capital gains tax. Now at the end of your life, when the estate asset is being transferred to your family, there's an additional tax, which is not popular (laughs) in terms of public policy. How is that increasing aggregate satisfaction when hardworking people trying to build generational wealth are taking perhaps a federal estate tax hit and a state debt tax hit. The rest of the proposals are uh, geared toward business. I won't spend very much time other than to say that um, there's a proposal to return to a progressive income tax structure with a top rate of 26.5% applying to corporate income above 5 million, which should concern all um, C-Corp Large, larger businesses. And so just my base, my, my gut reaction is we're, we're talking about it, it, taxes on capital gains that could affect a lot of retirees and an increase in a tax income tax bracket that could affect a small number of retirees. But what I'm nervous about is a proposal that impacts the most generous provision in the tax code, which I will describe in the next section, uh, the next segment, a conversation with a taxpayer, just to get kind of like a reaction, have a little bit of fun with it. But at the end of that segment, I explain the most generous provision in the tax code, something that all taxpayers in retirement, all Americans should be aware of, 
so that they don't blow that rule. The purpose and the theme of the this podcast is to understand, learn, and leverage the laws of money to your advantage. If you are in or near retirement, you may have concerns that one of the many threats to wealth in America today, in particular, high unreimbursed medical costs, unnecessary taxation, or even family mismanagement, could threaten your retirement nest egg. The good news is that the law does have solutions. Federal law and centuries-old trust law offers many safe harbors and, when implemented correctly, can protect your savings against Medicaid liens, state and federal tax agencies, and even private creditors. But why do so many retires then suffer asset erosion or even complete depletion, having failed to meet the law's requirements? The simple but sad truth is that most are unaware of these asset protection laws, or believe that only the super wealthy can pay less in taxes, or think that they must hire an expensive attorney, some who charge tens of thousands of dollars to put it all together. Unfortunately, we live in a world now where middle-class Americans simply do not have enough wealth to lose any of it. It's more important than ever for most to have an asset protection trust and plan, even if they are not super wealthy. Now, for the first time, families have help. Families can protect their assets if they learn a few basic concepts, have the correct legal documents, and implement these asset protection plans correctly. To do this, begin by enrolling in the BoomX Academy. The BoomX Academy is at, you guessed it, BoomXAcademy.com. That's BoomXAcademy.com. BoomX Academy offers free and tuition-based courses on topics related to retirement, estate, and asset protection planning. Sign up today for the Family Leaders membership level, and you will also join an online community of other learners. You may attend weekly live office hours with me, Daryl Tuttle, host of the BoomX Show, and an in-the-trenches asset protection attorney. Best of all, You'll have access to the BoomX drafting app so that you can easily draft all of the legal documents you need without hiring an expensive lawyer. To repeat, you will walk away with a full set of properly drafted legal documents, documents that you understand. You can join today as a free member and you will be enrolled in the BoomX Show Companion course automatically. You can also test drive the $40 per month family leaders level at the astounding rate of just $1 for the first 30 days. During this first month, you will be able to draft a limited power of attorney to preserve the right to transfer your nest egg to an irrevocable trust, a proven strategy I have helped clients implement countless times. This is also an $1,800 value. You will be enrolled at no further cost into the nest egg course, which will introduce you to the concepts of asset protection and how to implement this legal document and begin your asset protection plan. To learn more, go to boomxacademy.com. That's boomxacademy.com. Welcome back. We have been going now for 30 minutes. I have learned that I don't get excited. I, I, talk about what I know and observations and the tax code can be complicated. There are many aspects of the tax code, of course, which I don't understand. I don't profess to be an advanced tax planning expert as it relates 
to businesses and partnerships and large entities and the super wealthy. My clients are middle-class Americans and upper-class Americans to some extent, but all of the clients that I serve and listeners of the Boom X Nation most likely suffer from, <clears throat> that's, I misspoke, I, that's too strongly worded, worry about losing their retirement nest egg. And with good reason. I, I have seen families lose everything. I have also seen families flourish and have spent a lot of time wondering wh why. What did one family do that the other family didn't? And over time, 26 years of practice, I can tell you that it is 100% related to respect for the law. The law creates like a mutual fund can is, is a financial product. It's a wid widget. If it is owned by a retirement account or if it is owned by a brokerage account, the result will be completely different, not because of the mutual fund, which in my hypothetical is identical. It's the same mutual fund held in two different types of accounts. But over a 20-year time period, the same mutual fund will have far more fair market value because of the law, ERISA, the way that mutual funds are taxed when they're owned by a retirement account, continued tax deferral and a tax deduction when that investment is made, the law is what gives it value. Ignoring the laws of money, being arrogant or ignorant as to those laws has consequences, period. In the context of high unreimbursed medical expenses, some simply do not believe in the power of the leveraging the safe harbors, for example, within the Medicaid regulations, Social Security regulations, the statutes, and they, they pay. They pay dearly for that arrogance. And uh, I had mentioned that in the next section segment we would talk about, try to make it fun to talk about the most generous provision in the tax code. I realize that we will, it will be better to include that conversation and present that to you in the next episode, which should come out within the next day or so. If I include it now, this episode will go too long and it will become overwhelming. As a summary of this episode, there are some proposals on the tax, uh, the tax code, modifications of the tax code, which are of some concern. In the next episode, I'm going to give some time to explain how laws are made. So we don't really know. It's starting to come into focus, but there's going to be some modifications and some dialing back. There's two senators already who are talking about a lower corporate tax rate than what Biden is proposing, and these are senators within his own party, for example. However, as a retiree, a, a family leader, a person trying to preserve your family wealth, just think about capital gains tax in particular. Focus on that for now because we all have investments. We invest in mutual funds and bonds and securities in REITs, and we spent a lot of time focusing on that. However, um, I think that what I've observed is the families that are successful also look at how those investments are taxed, and that is a capital gains tax. Did you know, for example, that a mutual fund is taxed annually no matter what, unless it's in a, um, a retirement account, of course. Retirement, investments inside a retirement account are always tax-deferred. However, as I had indicated, when an RMD is made, when you take a distribution, most of you are reinvesting those distributions into a brokerage account. So they are no longer subject to the favorable rules of tax deferral that ERISA and the retirement account statute offers you. And in addition, many people have brokerage accounts in addition to the retirement accounts. If you own a 
mutual fund that is held and owned by a brokerage account outside of retirement account, 1099 div is sent to you and you are paying tax, capital gains tax, most likely on the gain of the entire mutual fund annually. And that is called tax erosion. You can go to boomxacademy.com. You can join as a free member. You'll be enrolled in the companion course and you can read more about the unfavorable tax treatment of mutual funds. Now, if we own, remember a mutual fund is just a collection of stocks wrapped in a mutual fund wrapper. Mutual funds were created back in the 1920s because the um, price of one share of GE, General Electric, the, like a blue chip stock, was greater than the average worker's annual salary. So there's no way Americans could participate in the stock market, right? And if they did, they could they would not be diversified. They could maybe afford one penny stock. Somebody had the bright idea, some genius said, what if we pooled uh, investors' money and bought a lot of stocks and then just offered the whole, the, the pie, not in individual slices, a, a piece of the pie, but the whole pie for a discounted price of something that they could afford. That was revolutionary. Everybody started investing into mutual funds because they could get diversification at a price point that they could afford. But really what they're buying is that unit called the mutual fund. Now, that's taxed annually. However, if we took the exact same stocks and bought and could buy them separately, then we could do wonderful things with tax. We could save money on tax. We could offset gains and losses, for example, capital gains and capital losses against each other and pay a less amount in tax. It requires us, however, to, as I had indicated, to really probably hire a professional like our sponsor, SC Financial group, which you can, we'll talk about that uh, later, but just think of the concept. Mutual funds are taxed annually. You're taking a tax erosion. If we had the exact same stocks and had somebody manage that for us, that person would say, okay, look, if we're going to sell Microsoft, which has uh, gone up in value and we want to sell Apple because we feel like that the time is right. Um, we're just like worried about the loss that they had. Let's offset the gains and the losses will pay less in tax, but we've got to time it right because some Remember, I had indicated some capital assets are taxed on a short, either all, actually all capital assets are taxed on a short or a long-term basis, and that dividing line is 12 months. And so somebody has to track, okay, look, we've held this for 11 months. If we sell it now, we're going to pay a higher rate if we just waited until the 13th month or one day after the 12th month. That's tax lot harvesting, tax lot Timing. I'm trying to get this out quickly so we can conclude the episode. The point being, if you'd compare a tax-efficient portfolio, somebody that's keeping track of ta tax lots, against somebody who's trying their best to buy the same type of investments but aren't timing it from a tax perspective, with 100% certainty, the investor who is intelligent about understanding and leveraging the, the laws of money and the capital gains tax rules, they will make more money, period. And it's a, like a 100% return, mathematical guaranteed, a gift from the law, not the market, mind you, brothers and sisters, members of the BoomX Nation. It's not from the market. The market comes with the risk. The law, if followed correctly and understand, comes with no risk. That's the point. We got all worked up. <laughs> think that we should conclude for today episode 21 is coming it's a it's a much funner episode in which we talk about how laws are made we're talking about the proposals and then i will i promise you i'm going to drill down and show you an amazing provision of the tax code that every american 
can benefit from, every American needs to know about, and right now it's still safe. Will most likely be unaffected for most people in the tax proposals, but the thing is most people don't know about it, and they lose it, and, they, and it's horrible. That's the ignorance that I'm trying to fight with every fiber of my body. Now i got to take a rest. i got to go take my nap. Boom Extras, it's been a privilege. And that concludes this episode of the Boom X Show Laws of Money podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Tuttle. As a reminder, you can go to boomxacademy.com. Membership is absolutely free. And best of all, you can enroll in the Boom X Show companion course. That's all for now. Until next time, remember, yes, you can learn and leverage the laws of money to your advantage.